Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here with us and glad to be worshiping with you this morning and praying with you this morning. I want to welcome you if this is your first time. Uh, my name's Peter. I'm the pastor at the church. We're so glad uh, that you are here to worship with us this morning. We've been going through a series. We started last week, actually, on uh, the parables as we journey through Lent together. And you can see uh, behind me that there are visual uh, depictions of the parables that we are talking about. If you want to come closer after the service and get a good look, I invite you to do that as well. One of the ways that we talked last week about what this series can mean for us in this Lenten journey we're on is to think about God's dream um, and the kingdom of God as, as God's dream for the world and to think about how humanity has a dream as well. Uh, and, and we have hopes and dreams and wishes for ourselves. And where those two things line up and where we can assess maybe where we're missing uh, God's dream and we're pursuing our dream and the, the big gulf that can take place there and how the parables actually can speak to us about how we can actually bring those two dreams closer together. The poet Emily Dickinson once wrote this. She said, tell the truth and tell it slant. Her idea here is that humans can deal with the truth only in part, can't deal with the whole truth at once because it's too overwhelming. Instead, she writes, it's best to get the truth in sort of a roundabout way, telling it gently or bit by bit as not to shock people with its brilliance. Something of this, I think, is what Jesus is up to when he is uh, speaking in parables. The Hebrew people had lost their ability to recognize the true nature of God even when it was staring them in the face and so Jesus needed to slowly reintroduce the world to the reality of God's truth, beauty, and goodness. And so he used parables as a way to just edge open, to creak open the door of humanity's heart and to let a little light shine in. And so uh, as we look at this morning's parable, I wonder if uh, we could... Just let the light peek through um, and to just get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And we know that uh, when the first listeners of this parable heard it, that there were some who that happened for, that there was an illumination, that they began to see the beauty of the kingdom. And then there were others who missed it. There were others who couldn't see and hear the beauty and truth and goodness of the kingdom. And so our prayer this morning should be that we stand with those who were on to it, who were able to begin to go on this new journey, this new way of being in the world, this new realization about the kingdom. And so with that in mind, let us read from, or you can hear, and I will read from Matthew chapter 13, just two verses this morning. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, 
who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are of immeasurable worth. You are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You are worthy of our attention, worthy of our honest and earnest seeking of you. Yet we confess that we lose sight of you and we lose our grip on how you are at work in us. So would you meet us in these words, reorient our hearts so that we might search for fresh revelation from you and when we find it, May it mark us, and may we never be the same. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So just two vital ideas that can be found in these verses. Verses that when I first read them, I was a little concerned how we're going to get a whole sermon out of two verses. But by the end, had plenty to leave on the cutting room floor because there's so much to talk about and the ideas being uh, explored here. And so we will just take a, a look and try and glean some of what is being taught here by Jesus and how that applies in this moment we find ourselves in. So let's talk about how this merchant set himself to search a field to look for beautiful pearls. Um, this spirit of seeking. This is a theme that is very present uh, in Jesus' teaching, that one of the things that is, uh, Jesus is looking for are not those who always have the answers, but those who are willing to seek, to go looking, to set their hearts to uh, know that out there somewhere there's something worth finding. And in a way, every person's journey on earth presents these types of questions. Uh, is there something value, of value, of goodness? Is there something worthwhile to being alive? And, and Jesus is teaching on that subject. He's saying if you feel compelled to look, if you feel like you're seeking, if you're out there and, and you want to know what life is all about, that there are answers to those questions. Um, but there's a posture and a way of being that you need to have in order to find the kingdom. It's a seeking posture. Uh, the author Brian Zahn gives a, a, a great teaching also for those of us who have traveled with Jesus for some time about what our seeking might look like in a challenge. He says this, God is found by those who seek him, not those who presume him. When we presume, we know that Jesus, what he's like and what he will do and what he won't do for us, we can lose track of the real and often surprising works of the kingdom of God, the dynamism of God. Uh, and when we simply presume that we're in the right place, doing the right thing, and that Jesus is going to do what he always does, then Jesus can go missing and we don't even realize he's missing. One of the all-time best gospel stories about Jesus going missing is in Luke chapter 2. 
The text tells us of a time when Mary and Joseph were caravanning from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and they were making their yearly pilgrimage to the Passover when they realized three days into their trip that the missing preteen Jesus uh, is not in the caravan. Um, and I think any parent, three days seems like a long time, but there's a way by which we can understand how your kid could go lost in the caravan. Um, I know out there on the patio, many times I'm trusting the caravan to watch my children as they explore all around the dimensions of the church, and I'm hoping one of you will, uh, you know, tell them it, uh, where they need to be if, they, if they're doing something wrong and that the village will keep an eye on them and the caravan will take care of them um, here at the church. And so, you know, parents can have a nice adult conversation for a little while. But here the assumption is that Jesus is in the caravan and, and he's gone missing for uh, some time. And so obviously there's an urgency in Mary. But we should realize uh, that, that the first listeners of this parable, one of the ways that they missed it, like we talked about, is that they, uh, they had this assumption too. They had this assumption that Jesus was in the caravan. The Pharisees who were hearing this teaching on the kingdom had an assumption that they were doing the right things, that they were doing the right practices, that the, where they left God is where they would find God again. They had met him in these ways before, so why wouldn't, they, why wouldn't he be there again? But there's this new movement. There's this announcement of the kingdom of God with Jesus and God, and Jesus is up to something totally new. And so their assumption that Jesus was just in the caravan with them is assumption that is, is false. And that's one of the ways we can miss we can miss what God is up to now, here and now, in this place, in this time, working with us, is to just simply assume he's going to do the same thing he always has done before. Because God is dynamic. Jesus is on the move. His kingdom is moving and advancing in the world. Conversely, I think in Lent, one of the things that we should also think about is the way in which idols are tempting because they're consistent. That they are always there, always reliable. We know that uh, if we go to them, that they will change how we feel. Uh, they can change our mood. Uh, they, they can uh, give us for a moment a sense of escape, a different feeling, a way to reward ourselves, a way to relax. And even though we've, we know that they ultimately won't give us what we're looking for, uh, we know that because we've done it and we've experienced it, we still are so tempted because they're there. They're fixed and they're consistent. And so they become hard to pass up. Jesus is just not fixed in this predictable way. So Jesus, I mean, so... Mary, when she realizes that Jesus is not in the caravan, goes on a search. Searching for him and really earnestly looking. And can you imagine, she's been entrusted. The angels came to her and said, would you take care of the Messiah, the saving one on earth? And now he's been gone for three days. 
Could you imagine that sense of responsibility and the frantic way in which you must have been searching for Jesus? And then, of course, we see this great contrast in how Jesus is dealing with this whole situation. He is so nonplussed. And he says this in Luke 2.49. He says, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? See, Mary had been with Jesus probably every day. Uh, you know, she obviously, she felt him growing in her womb. Um, she taught him how to walk. She taught him um, how to take care of uh, household duties as he grew into preteen age taking on a trade. And so she knew him better than anybody, but even she had to experience losing him. And I'm sure once she found him and that sense of relief came in and, and the anxiety went away, that there was another realization. And the scripture tells us uh, that when she discovered a new dimension of who Jesus was out of losing him, uh, that it says in Luke 2.51 that his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart. That it's actually by losing Jesus, um, he's not lost, but Mary lost him, that she gets new, deeper, more meaningful insight about who Jesus is. And this is the one of the ways that God draws us out, that God takes us into new, deeper, more unfolding beauties in the kingdom of God, is when we realize that our assumptions about Jesus, where he is and what he's doing, are not quite what the reality of where Jesus is and what he is doing and so we leave, and instead of giving up and saying, oh, well, I guess Jesus is lost forever, that we just go searching for him again. And we get drawn out into spaces and places that we didn't expect to go. Perhaps this last season was a season that felt like at times like you lost track of Jesus in the midst of it. Maybe you feel that this morning. Maybe you hit some point where you realize that you got tired, uh, that uh, the ways in which you were praying, the ways in which you were uh, dealing with stress and anxiety of, of all of the things of pandemic, etc., that came out in this uh, last season, that there was a way in which you just realized that Jesus wasn't in the caravan anymore and that you needed to get some new tools. Um, you needed to get some new things implemented in your life uh, to go searching again for a new way, maybe a deeper way to understand what Jesus is up to in the midst of challenging situations. Or maybe in your life you just experience transition. Uh, maybe you're, you're in a new place or a new space or uh, you have an illness or somebody you love, you lost somebody you loved. All of these things are ways by which it's easy then to to be challenged and feel like you cannot really keep track of where Jesus is in the moment. And so the promise of Scripture this morning from this parable is that your earnest seeking of Jesus, you will find him again. 
but he may be in deeper water. He may be there in places you didn't expect him to be found. And so just don't give up looking. And the promise is also that if we do seek him, that we will find saving truth, real goodness, and ever-unfolding beauty. So let's talk about saving truth. Jesus, uh, one day, is walking with his disciples, and uh, he's explaining to to them that sometime soon that he will have his own dark night, um, that he will have uh, the darkest of nights as he's going to go to the cross. And almost with comic irony, two of them immediately change the subject to ask who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And they want it to be them. And so we see this really important truth, this saving truth um, that Jesus uses, even with this bad question, he honors the subject with a saving truth that then is revealed to them so they can learn that this kingdom is different and and that God's dream for the world is different than their dream or the, the, the greatness that the world is presenting. Right now, we can see this kind of uh, contrast between these two senses of greatness, right? Jesus says, don't be like the world. Don't be like the Gentiles who like to lord their greatness over one another. Instead, become a servant and seek to serve through love. Get low. Be with people and serve. And we, we can see this on the international stage right now. As President Zelensky in Ukraine has said, no matter what happens, I'm going to be with my people. That I'm willing to die, and I most certainly might die if I stay here, but no matter what, I am not going to leave. I'm going to stay here with my people. And then on the other end, we see President Vladimir Putin, who's sitting at the end of a long table by himself, isolated and and presenting himself with a picture of greatness above the people. And we can see there's real stakes when it comes to these types of truths for the world. That if one takes this to its furthest extent, that a person's sense of greatness, personal greatness, at any cost can cause devastation in the world. And another leader's choice to serve and be with the people can bring about saving truth within the world. And Jesus taught his disciples this way. He taught them a new way of being. And in dark times, one of the things that truth does is begin to create a map. And we can name, okay, here's where we are on this journey in the dark. And the truth is vital. You need a compass in the dark. You need to look at the stars in the dark and know a direction in which you can go in order to make your way in the most challenging of times. And so saving truth uh, given to us in the kingdom of God and God's dream for the world has real tangible 
qualities to it as we live our lives and how we take care and organize ourselves. But also in the midst of dark times, I think uh, we can also, we don't have to say it's all about just talking about the dark. We can also talk about the reality that while there's darkness going on, there's also real goodness taking place in our everyday lives. One of the ways that I get to experience this is at least once a week, I go and eat Subway. And one of the things that I do when I eat Subway in my meal is that I get a chocolate chip cookie. And if I have self-restraint enough, what I do is I save that chocolate chip cookie. And then when I go pick up my first grader, Remy, from school, he hops in the car and he sees the bag. And then he asks me, is there a cookie in there? And I say, yeah, there's a cookie today. And so after a long, hard day at school, on the playground, and in the classroom, I get to watch my son eat this chocolate chip cookie. And at least for 30 seconds, all is right in the world. I have provided for him something that he actually likes and enjoys. And we, we need to also have these types of disciplines um, as we walk this spiritual uh, journey together, that as we find the kingdom of God, that one of the things we find is that there's so much goodness. The psalmist says, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so these little things that might not seem that important are so vital. And we can cultivate a sense of gratitude for the things that we do have and the things by which God is showing up for us in just the little day-to-day, ordinary, everyday things that get us through. That if we can have the good eye, as Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, if we can learn to look and see the things that are good in the world, that will help us, will help us to sustain us. And then finally, and I think this is really what this parable is getting at uh, when talking about a pearl, uh, the beauty of a pearl, is that the kingdom of God is an ever-unfolding beauty. A couple of months ago, um, for a school project, I got to interview a pastor in North Carolina that I really respect. He has a wonderful church. His name's uh, Justin Morgan, and his church is, is named Church on Morgan. That's not his name. That's actually the street in Raleigh, North Carolina, where the church is at. And he actually really doesn't like that, but anyways. <laughs> One of the questions that I asked him was simply, uh, why do you do what you do? And he said that he had asked his team that um, at the formation of his church. And after like two days of dialogue about what it really is, why they get up in the morning to uh, do ministry and to do church, this is what the worship leader in his church said. I feel like part of who we are or what gets us up in the morning to do what we do is that we are passionate about waking people up to the beauty of God and each other. In this parable of the kingdom of God, Jesus is telling us ever so slant this unbelievable truth that the beauty of God is more beautiful than you can imagine. The Christian story is more beautiful than you have heard. That there's a more beautiful way to read the scriptures and a more beautiful way to do justice and a more beautiful way to do ministry. 
Therefore, it should be our passion to wake up to the beauty of God and to the beauty of each other. The nature of beauty is almost impossible to name or to pin down, but one way it can be talked about is as a felt resonance with what is being observed. Like somehow we just intrinsically know when we see beauty that it connects to something inside of us and it even makes sense in a way of like we've, we've been here before, we understand this. It makes sense and, and it aligns our lives and it says, yes, something about this is what should be. What it does is just gives us this hint this hint of something larger. That as we play this game of seek and find, seek and find, one of the things we see is that we just get more insight. It gets bigger. The kingdom of God expands. The beauty of God expands. The truth of God, the goodness of God expands as we seek and we find, as we seek and we find. And then, of course, the teaching here is that through this discovery that we begin to realize that it's worth it. That it's worth it all. That this journey that some of you have been walking for years and years and years is worth it. That God will deliver on his promises in a way that nothing else can. The kingdom of God is worth pursuing. And so in light of this morning's teachings, may you know that the truth of God and his goodness is that it's worth giving up everything for. Things that moth and rust will surely do away with anyhow are not worth pursuing the way that the kingdom of God is worth pursuing. I pray that you will meet with anyone today, Lord Jesus, who wants to earnestly seek you out. And that those of us who have a glimpse would go further. Those of us who've seen a little bit would want to know more. And that you would surprise us and remind us that in the end, there is an unstoppable avalanche of divine presence and goodness and truth that is headed our way. Lord, we pray out of understanding of our estate before you, of how our dreams have not matched up to your dreams uh, with humility asking you, Lord, crying out to you and saying, we want to see a better world. We want to be better. We want to know your kingdom. And so may this parable inspire us. Uh, may it woo us. May your beauty uh, just draw us forth into an understanding of the great reality of who you are and life in this kingdom that we have together. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.